0: I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world.
1: Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom.
0: On this week's episode, we sit down with Danny Randazzo. Danny is building financial freedom for his family with a mix of commercial office space, short-term rentals, and large multifamily syndications. Danny, welcome to The Road to Family Freedom. Hey, thank you
2: guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Of course, of course. We're, we're excited too. So I love your story of how you got into real estate, and I've heard it, but let's share it with our listeners. Most people start off with, you know, maybe just a single family home uh, as a rental. How did you start off?
2: Well, I first got started with a house hack to try to build some equity and get started with investing in real estate and making my first ever purchase of a real contract with real estate. And so in 2013, I bought a townhome out in Livermore, California. I was still traveling and single at the time. And, you know, it worked out perfectly. I rented some bedrooms, collected the income and real estate was very natural to me. I always read books about it and was fascinated with, you know, rich dad, poor dad and apartments and collecting income and paying expenses. And if there's extra money left, that's awesome. So um, one of the people that I started getting and reading a lot of was Dolph DeRoss, who worked with Donald Trump on a lot of commercial transactions. And the logic, I've caught on to it and really liked what I was hearing. And it made a lot of sense to me of um, just having a larger property that generates more income that could potentially be easier to handle and manage than a single family house. And at the end of the day, it generated a lot more cash flow. So I started really looking at commercial real estate and wrote down... Goals of what my wife and I wanted to achieve with our first purchase, or what goals we wanted to achieve in real estate over the next X period of months, three, six, 12 months, and kind of started working backwards and said, okay, if I want to achieve a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand in cash flow per month, what do I need to buy to achieve that? And so I started doing math and saying, okay, well, to get to a thousand, maybe you need four single families that each make two fifty a month, or you could get one commercial property that generates a thousand. And so I started coming up with criteria to then go out and look for those properties that are going to ultimately achieve my goal. And having that goal in mind really let me see what was out there. Because there's properties for sale, there's properties that you can call owners on, off-market leads, and everybody wants to be a real estate investor and have passive income today for who I meet. And so there's a ton of stuff out there that you can get overwhelmed with or not find what is actually going to achieve your goal. And so having that goal helped me And in order to achieve that goal, we came up with a million dollar purchase price and it could be a multi-unit dwelling or it could be a commercial retail center and as I was looking, you know, the perfect thing popped up. I was able to see it because I had that goal that said I need to be looking for something that's, you know, a million dollars to one point two five, and it's it needs to generate, you know, ten to fifteen thousand dollars in income. What are my expenses, and then what's my debt service on that, and what is the cash flow that's left? And it, it led me really to find that first property, which was a million dollar commercial office building. We bought two buildings. We have one tenant that occupies three units and they occupy the entire building. And then we have a second building that has three individual tenants that occupy the other three units in that building. And, you know, I kind of I kind of just took it very, very straightforward and said. Okay, I'm going to collect from four different people. They're each going to pay me, you know, their rent. I'm going to have these expenses. I shouldn't have any unexpected expenses. I'm of course going to plan for reserves or an hvac repair and the debt service. I can calculate that out and at the end of the day, I'm going to have x dollars in cash flow and I really just took it from that basic principle and analysis and said, okay, this is something that we need to do in order to jumpstart and really get on the road to financial freedom for us. And that property has been a great purchase. It's really um, been a good proof of concept for us. And, you know, I, I like to think that I didn't get overwhelmed. I knew that. You know anything is possible. There's other people out there who have bought more expensive buildings or have made larger purchases before. So I'm going to be okay. It's not going to be um, the end of the world. And I think getting over that hurdle of you know you got to start with single families. You got to buy the most inexpensive house in the neighborhood and make a, a profit on it, and then move up to the next you know higher price point you start with the $50,000 flip then you go to 100,000 and then you're at the 250 buy and hold the rental I just kind of said I need to skip all that because it's not going to achieve the goals that I have and that we have for what we want and our road everyone's road to financial freedom is different for what you want but in order to get there you need to see what turns that you should take and so Taking a turn towards single family houses and, you know, out of the Grant Cardone playbook, you know, you're not gonna build an extreme amount of wealth or cash flow from that until you get to a thousand units. And I'm sure people own a thousand single family houses and do really well, but it's a huge headache and a hurdle versus I could buy. Five commercial properties that generate the same income as a thousand single family doors. And I've got five properties to manage and oversee. The the contracts have a couple more zeros and the decimal points in a different spot, but it is very much the same to, to owning one single family rental. That's
0: awesome. Great. Do you
1: guys want to tell us how you managed to make that happen? Just because that's a big, you know, a lot of the times the reason that people start with those smaller things is because that's what they can manage financially speaking. Um, you yep. have to do anything in particular to make sure that you are able to make that kind of bigger leap.
2: Yeah, you definitely need to have capital available to invest and buy real estate. So either you need to partner with someone who has the funds or if you have the funds or you borrow the funds, you have to get them. And so I would say to the beginner who's starting out, if they don't have capital available, then they should either find a partner to work with or they should do some of these smaller deals that they can start with the funds they do have. So if you've got $10,000, you could probably buy a $100,000 house with leverage and start to build your capital up to where you've got, you know, $50,000 and maybe you can go out and buy a $500,000 commercial property. So I would say you have to build your capital and to talk a little bit about our road and journey to that point of where we were able to afford a million dollar commercial property. I mean, it starts way back when I'm five years old and saving nickels and quarters and, you know, going through middle school and high school, I used to parse out my bagged lunch and I would sell pieces of it. And then I would buy my own lunch but have extra money at the end. And I managed my income and expenses to the penny throughout high school and college and ever since I started working. And so I was very savvy and frugal at the time. I'm still pretty frugal today where I make buying decisions and and not spend lavishly on, I don't know, retail items, but um, we'll certainly enjoy ourselves and take a vacation and buy books and go to dinner and really enjoy ourselves. But it's not its um, not a spend everything you make. It's a pay yourself first kind of Robert Kiyosaki mentality. And to get back to the specific journey, I really saved money. I was super diligent about putting away more than I made. And I think having capital available, I took every available cent that I had When I bought my townhome out in California, the market was great. I got lucky with it. I bought it in 2013. I wasn't in a position to start investing in 06 or 07. So the timing was right. Very lucky from that standpoint. Um, The market that I bought in, I bought in a place that I could afford, which was Livermore, California. If you put a map up, it's way out east of San Francisco. So I'm not buying in San Francisco where it's a million bucks. Buying out in a neighborhood where it's 400, 500,000, and making that purchase, then renting bedrooms out, I was only paying for my cost of living about, 400, 450 dollars a month living in California. So that was an exceptional point and time period in my life where I was able to build up. That equity nest egg, which we talked about, you know, if you don't have the money now to afford it, you need to build up your equity nest egg so you can make those purchases. You can prove that concept. You could bring partners in to build that up and increase it. But really building that up through house hacking, selling that property, gave us the funds available to go out and make that purchase. We basically sold everything off in California, relocated to Charleston, South Carolina, totally different market dynamic than San Francisco and an absolute pivotal point in our road and it was a very significant turn for us, but we made that that turn, we took it with ease and have done extremely well um, and are very pleased with our progress that we've made in Charleston over the last two
0: years. Mm-hmm. Did you on that first property, did you have a money partner or was it just you?
2: It was just us, just us. No, no partners
0: involved. And
2: really the reason for that, I wanted to prove the concept. I knew, you know, deep down in your heart, when you feel like you've got to do it and you know, you're going to do well, I said, let's just do it. We're going to buy it and prove the concept. And then as we grow, we'll bring partners in for different opportunities.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: So you already talked about Robert Kiyosaki. How else did you kind of educate yourself? Obviously, you've been educating yourself for your entire life for this. So, you know, what else have you been doing? Are there any other books that you feel like have really helped you? Books that have helped
2: me. I always recommend a book by Harry Clark called Mistakes That Millionaires Make. Um, It's just a great book about the perspective of building up a tremendous amount of wealth, losing it all maybe recovering or even the stories of some that didn't to, you know, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Not everything is going to go right. You're going to have pitfalls and obstacles. And so that gives you a good perspective there. Another thing is, you know, I would just train if you're new and want to get started, or you're even a seasoned investor, I would always encourage basic understanding of finances and being able to manage an Excel spreadsheet and just put something together that's basic. You don't need a coding background. You don't need to know how to write macros and things like that, but just your basic income, your expenses, and then what's left, you know, kind of what you learned in elementary school, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and at the end of the day, if you can collect more income than you pay in expenses and your debt service, you should be doing all right. And that's kind of the, the basic logic that I've followed and used to underwrite some of these deals, at least from the get go, to see if the investment makes sense.
0: It's funny when I, uh, for years, when I have sort of looked at ways to achieve financial freedom and I've looked at Different entrepreneurial ventures and things like that, and what finally made me settle on real estate was that there are so many examples to follow and it 's really at its core not that complicated uh, and it 's a very proven model if you follow the model
2: yeah the the turning point for me with real estate I think reading all those books is great, but I remember many years ago when they came out with the Forbes 500 list. I don't know for how many years they've been doing that, but as I'm thumbing through numbers one through 50 and getting all the way to 500, I would say a majority of those 500 wealthiest people in America either made their wealth through real estate or use real estate to protect and maintain it. It just seems like a no brainer. Again, it's a proven path. People have been very successful and it's repeatable. And, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out.
0: Now, off of that first property, would you say you would have felt comfortable focusing exclusively on real estate off of that first, of that one property?
2: The answer is yes for me, without any hesitation. I think, you know, your wife was mentioning, I've kind of been built for this. I started when I was super young, just that entrepreneurial mindset managing income and expenses, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I'm 16, and really visualizing myself owning properties and you know, being a landlord and collecting income and um, having cash flow and things like that. So yes, absolutely. And I think anybody can do it, whether you want to be a full time investor or even a part time and just have your money work for you as an additional income stream to your you know, main job. I think real estate is an avenue that allows everyday people like myself to be successful.
0: So you mentioned, you know, you're up to, Randazzo Capital's up to $8 million in assets under management. Have you, how do you finance your deals now? Are you bringing on partners now? Yeah, I do bring
2: on partners for different opportunities. And each deal is different. So we have done different structures for every single deal. But typically, what I like to do is set up a multi member LLC and I will bring individual investors in, maybe like two to three at most to each different um, investment opportunity. So there's not too many players involved and too many decision makers, but we all become members of that LLC and then we together actively manage that property. So it's not a security. They're not getting a guaranteed rate of return on their money. It's just a partnership where we choose to buy real estate and I do the asset management and oversight of that and come up with the business plan and the strategies. And if we're going to do any upgrades or things like that, get bids. And then we review it as partners together and make the final decision. So everyone is actively managing their interests in that property. I'm really transitioning a lot more today to the syndication model where they would be true passive investors. I think I've learned some wonderful lessons of being in multi-member partnerships with varying opinions and business ideas. So that's been wonderfully educating to me and humbling. And going to a syndication route as we look to target like two to $10 million multifamily and commercial opportunities is really our sweet spot. Now the more traditional syndication setup makes a lot more sense for these types of properties.
0: Not sure. So
1: PC of you. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, how much time do you spend on your real estate endeavors each week?
2: <laughs> oh, I spend a good deal of time. I would say it is a second full-time job. I do have a financial consulting job that I do normally. And in addition to that, so nights and weekends, mornings, evenings, um, I dedicate to my real estate. And it's all about building that income stream and kind of taking our our journey a little bit further down the road to achieve our goals that we want to have.
0: So, you know, you're a busy man. You have a full-time job and a wife who wants your time. Uh, Are there any systems that you have developed to sort of maximize and leverage the limited time you have? As far as a system
2: goes, I try to do the high-value activities and kind of just prioritize my time. So in the mornings or the evenings, I'm not really perusing the internet to try to drum up a lead, but I'm going to call a property manager or a broker and build a relationship with them because I know they're spending 10 times the amount of time to generate deals and opportunities that they could bring to me versus me trying to go around a manager or a broker to find an owner myself. Um, so I try to prioritize what is the highest use of my time. And whether I have one hour a day or 10 hours a day to dedicate towards real estate, I just try to say, what can I do to move forward and to grow? And if I've got one hour, what is the best use of my time? And it's probably calling a property manager, calling a broker and seeing what opportunities they have introducing myself, talking to them about what they do and how we work together um, to be beneficial. So it's, it's just trying to make the best use of time and, and grow.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, you're working with brokers. Have you hired anybody to help you at this point or are you mostly doing it on your own?
2: I do have a team of people that support. My wife is very involved in the business And I've made other good relationships with local investors, and we do try to work together to build these relationships, share contacts, and really grow the business. Do
0: you invest long distance, or are you only there in the South Carolina area?
2: Currently, all of our holdings are in the Charleston, South Carolina market. We are looking to expand from that market. So we've seen excellent growth over the last couple of years. But with that, changes the dynamic of purchasing. And so we've now shifted our focus to the Southeast U.S. And we've targeted about two or three specific markets that we're really trying to build relationships in and drum up opportunities in those specific markets. Um, the reason for that is we like those demographics uh, being several miles in from the oceans or hundreds of miles in from the oceans all around the U.S. I think there's it's a different market. It's a little bit more stable in terms of it's not going to have as high of peaks. It's not going to have as high of troughs and you're going to be a balanced asset and and that makes a lot of sense for buy and hold long-term cash flowing properties.
1: How often are you visiting your properties in person? Is it or is it something that you can do from a distance if you guys decide? I mean obviously that's the goal if you're going to be moving to other states, but how often are you visiting your properties?
2: <laughs> we we will visit the properties when we need to and we really try to limit Our time uh, to go and physically see them as much as we can, because as we look to scale outside of where we live, I know it's going to be a challenge to, you know, you can't just drive six hours every other day to go visit a property. And so it's a learning curve for us. But if we need to go see a property, yeah, we can drive 30 minutes and go check in on it. But again, I think we're trying to see the long term vision of not. Having to go to the property maybe once a quarter um, to see it or, you know, have another reason to be in the area and then go and check on it.
1: Do you utilize property managers?
2: Yes. We have property managers for some of our, some of our assets that are a little bit more hands-on required. So we've got an apartment complex, we need a full-time manager there. We have a an office suite program, kind of like a Regis concept. And we have a property manager there who handles the day-to-day and fields a few more phone calls. But on the other hand, the first building that we did buy, the the six units um, with four tenants, we self-manage that. I may get an email every quarter. And that's about the extent of the effort because those are triple net leases. People aren't staying overnight in the unit. So it's a little bit easier in terms of management compared to even your single family house, um, which was another appealing point to that purchase. So those we self manage. And then we do have a couple other vacation rentals that are Airbnbs. And my wife does the management of those because they are higher touch, higher turnover. And it's something that we feel we can do a little bit better in-house. But looking forward, that long-term vision is to have everything outsourced to a professional property manager. Again, from a time perspective, I think it's, it's a high touch, high, high use of time activity. And that's something that we would want to let the professionals handle.
0: Gotcha. Uh, you're, in, you're very much in a growth phase right now. So obviously, it's a lot more of an active kind of investing. But at this point, right now, today, how long would you say you would feel comfortable sort of letting your hands off the reins for a little while? We, we took a six-week honeymoon, and we were out of the
2: country, limited access to email and no access to phone calls. And we did quite well. For over a month. So I, I think that seems to be a good amount of time. If there was a life event that came up and I couldn't do real estate or manage any of these activities for three months, we would be, I think, very fine. If we needed to transition the management to someone, we could get that done very quickly. So I feel good about that, being able to go on vacation for a month and not have to be there, boots on the ground, nine to five or whatnot. So it can be passive, but we're certainly actively involved and and, and will continue to be. Gotcha.
1: It's nice to be able to choose that for yourself and not feel like you have to.
0: Right. So, someone who was interested in your particular niche, what do you believe is the most critical skill that they should focus on developing in themselves?
2: I would say finding opportunities. I think that's the biggest challenge that's out there. And really, it comes down to networking. You know, you're not going to find an off market deal unless you know someone. And so, going out and Talking to brokers, talking to property managers, attending or hosting a local meetup is another good way. Helping to teach others about real estate, doing podcasts like your guys', is, you know, helping the audience to get involved and, and do things like that. I think that's the best way. So building your network and finding opportunities is going to make you the most successful.
1: Well, if you could hit a magic reset button that allowed you to go back in time and start your investment journey all over again, is there anything you would do differently?
2: I would start earlier. I think going to a four-year university and getting a degree in finance was a distraction for me. It gave me certainly a different path in life. And i I I don't live with regret for that. If there was a, a reset button, I would say get started in real estate as soon as I could. I really should have started investing, you know, when I was younger. And, you know, I wish there were better ways to get educated back then. I think podcasts, you know, communities like Bigger Pockets is great when you have young people who are 15, 16 years old getting excited and interested in real estate. And I think that's just tremendous. And I wish um, I could have done that more easily. That would be it.
0: If you were sitting down with a group of investors who were time constrained, you know, had a full time job, perhaps even had kids and were to maybe give them three, two or three actions to take today that might help propel them along a journey towards financial freedom. Can you think of any that you would recommend? I would recommend
2: uh, defining their goals for what they want to achieve. Number two would be determine their level of comfort to achieve those goals, right? You could do some sort of development deal that maybe is going to net you a, a great sum of return, but there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of upfront cost to it, and not a lot of people are comfortable with a huge capital outlay up front and then hope to make that money back in a few years when the development is finalized. So number one, define your goals so you know what you're trying to work towards so you can find the properties that fit for those goals. Number two is understand what you're comfortable with. What types of investments can you handle? Some people could never invest out of state. Some people only want to invest out of state so they never have to go and see the property. And then number three, I would say, go bigger than you think. Those are great. Go bigger than
0: you think. Yeah. Well, Danny, it's been great talking to you today. If any of our guests want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to find you? The best way to find me is at investwithdanny.com. Well, that's great.
2: Awesome. Well, be sure to put that in the show notes. Yep. Cool. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Have a wonderful day and happy to help your listeners any way that I
0: can. Fantastic. Great. Thanks again, Danny. Thank you
1: so much, Danny.
0: You're welcome. Okay, that was Danny Randazzo. Um, I I would say my key takeaway from what Danny said, which is, go bigger than you think you can go. I mean, it's okay um, to start with a, a single family home and things like that, but to really build wealth quickly, uh, you may have to go a lot bigger than you think you can, and it's okay. Don't be afraid of that. What about you?
1: Well, I think it's kind of attached to that in in a way because the way to go bigger is to really evaluate using that beginning with the end in mind sort of goal setting process. So to understand exactly how big you can go, you need to understand what what you're really looking for, what's and 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 you can always go out, okay, what is that big ultimate goal? what kind of property would that take? What kind of financial investment would that take? Okay, if that's something you can't do right now, you can't find the, um, you know, the capital for, then what's that next step down? What's the next step down? And find what the biggest step is that you can make um, with where you're at right now, but use that end in mind. Because if you just sort of go, oh, well, I can probably do this, you're most likely gonna miss the mark on what you actually can do um, maybe even in either direction and get yourself in some trouble or just not do as well as, as you really could.
0: So now is the point in the show also where we're going to sit down, as promised, and we're going to evaluate um, our guest's strategy based on our four criteria, which is how much knowledge should it take it to get started, how much money did it take, how much time, and how location-dependent it is. Now, this is not a critique of our guest's strategy. This is just us filtering it through um, those four categories to give people a better idea of what they're going to face if they choose to go down and follow that strategy. Okay.
1: Yep. And this is a conversation that if, and actually this is a conversation that Neil and I have probably already had together at some point about any of these strategies that we've come across. Um, And this is sort of how we have talked about evaluating it. We had one of these conversations last night about a few things that we're wanting to do. And these are all the pieces that we really look at What do we need to know? How much money? How much time? And can we do it from where we're at or if we decide to go traveling? Yeah.
0: All right. So, how much um, knowledge wise, how much time would you think uh, Danny spent getting himself educated?
1: It's kind of hard because the man educated himself for his entire life, basically, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think what he probably if you distilled the amount of time that he really took to get to the knowledge that he needed to be what he needed that he needed to do what he actually did um I would guess I mean you could probably get there within a year maybe less I'm not sure you're the one that's been doing most of the yeah yeah.
0: (laughs) I would say if I had to guess I would say one to two years is mm-hmm. is probably about what he spent really like digging in. I mean, obviously he, um, he was somebody who had a lot of, uh, he had a finance background, so he went to college, uh, to do it. But even he said he didn't, the college was sort of a distraction from what he really wanted to do. Um, so I would, I would say one to two years. Yeah.
1: He also said he would have started sooner if he could, you know, hit that magic reset button. So I think really, it, I don't think you need to sit around for one to two years figuring out how to do this. You probably just need to spend a good, solid six months to a year really digging in, or find a training program, a mentor, or a meetup, something else that can accelerate that learning um, to to really get into this a little bit faster than he did. Uh, obviously, you know, you you may need more time to build capital, things like that, but the knowledge piece. Um, with all of the resources that are available between, like he said, podcasts, meetups, um, mentors that are out there and books, you can probably accelerate this down to, um, you know, six months to a year.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, money wise, um, I would say that Danny, if I had to guess, and we didn't talk specifics, um, but he bought a million dollar property, a commercial property. A commercial property is t- typically going to require about 30% down. So, I'm just guessing. Danny began with about three hundred thousand dollars to start.
1: That makes sense, too, considering the property that they cashed out on. Yeah. He said that it was about a four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars property. Um, you know, we can think that he probably put ten to fifty thousand dollars into that to begin with, maybe more. Um, and then, you know, depending on where his mortgage was at. When they cashed out then that makes sense having yeah. that around three hundred thousand
0: dollars and as he said you know it is possible to, to begin with less than that uh if you find a partner and things like that but uh the way we're going we're, where we're, we're evaluating is we'd like to really focus on exactly what our guests did so what about time
1: well he does spend quite a lot of time on this um I would get, I mean, if he's spending most of his mornings, evenings, and weekends doing this, then he's probably spending at least 20 hours a week. Um, I think it really depends on how much you want to outsource. If you have the income to outsource some of those things, then you can probably scale back on on some of the time that he's spending. It sounds like right now, his priority is to spend the time... Um, really intentionally. And he's using it for relationships. And it sounds like he's he actually is sort of starting to outsource some of those things. So, um, you know, but upfront, it's probably going to be a bit of a time investment when you don't have those relationships or systems in place.
0: Gotcha. What about location? How location dependent do you think uh, his strategy is?
1: Well, he said that he, they, he thought they would be good for about three months. Um, And again, it sounds like as he moves forward with putting some of the more of those systems and uh, managers and those kinds of people into place that they would really be able to be location independent for quite some time, um, maybe even indefinitely, as long as he was available for big emergencies, you know, by phone or email, something along those lines. So, um, you know, the, the way that he is going with with how he's setting things up, he's really setting himself up and um, to be completely location independent should he choose to be. Yeah.
0: And I would That's say cool. right now he's probably not quite there. No. Um, but you know, he said about three months they were able to um, he feels like you'd be safe walking away from the business for a little while. So which three months is
1: quite a long time. It is.
0: It is. It is. Well, there you have it. Like I said, this is not a critique of Danny's strategy. This is just sort of to give, you an idea of, if you were to pursue the same strategy that Danny is, what you might face. Uh, And again, uh, we're big believers, and Danny reiterated it, which is begin with the end in mind. What do you want your life to look like um, once you have sort of achieved whatever it is you're working towards? So thanks.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us,
0: guys. We'll see you next time. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.